0: Today we're going to cover three mitzvahs, mitzvah 43, 44, and 45. And this is a continuation of what we spoke about last time, which is the slaves or the idea of Jewish slaves, Jewish slavery. Last time we spoke about slavery in general or servitude is probably a more politically correct term. A servitude and today specifically we're going to talk about the laws related to a female Jewish servant who is a minor. The only way for a Jewish slave or jewish servant uh, to be female is if she is a minor and i think it's the mitzvah that we need to have the most introductions because it's the most susceptible to misinterpretation of what exactly this means you know if you read the descriptions of exodus i think it's chapter 21 it says kind of plainly well if a man sells his daughter as a servant and then the way she leaves, the way she's freed is different than the male slave or the male servant. Now, there's another wrinkle in, in scripture. And that's one of the myths that we'll talk about today. And that is that the owner can marry this girl or marry her to his son. So it sounds very odd and very unusual. And you kind of wonder why such institution is, uh, is sanctioned in the Torah. And what does this even mean? You know, why would a parent do that? What about the girl? So there's obvious questions. So I think it's first of all important to make the following distinction. And that is that even laws that feature prominently in the Torah, it doesn't mean that these things were ideal situations or situations that were encouraged. And it certainly does not mean that these were frequently done. You know, there are pages and pages in the Talmud that talk about the Jewish perspective on slavery or servitude. Uh, Jewish slaves that are there temporarily, non-Jewish slaves that are there permanently. And to my knowledge, there isn't even a single reference for Jews owning Jewish servants, to my knowledge. Maybe there is, but there isn't anything documented. And there's very sparingly, it's vanishingly rare, in in Jewish literature, in the Talmud, for example, to find discussions related to Jews owning even non Jewish servants. So what that means is is that it's it's important to stress that whereas other societies embraced this uh, institution of slavery, in in Jewish societies it was almost not present at all. Like we spoke about last time, the Mishnah tells us it dissuades us against having servants. Even though it may help you economically because you have more servants, you can get more, more work done, but it's going to hurt you, it's going to harm you spiritually. So it's very important to make that distinction that uh, this does not, um, this should not be misinterpreted as saying that these things were widespread in any Jewish society. And I would say uh, more broadly that there are many mitzvot in the Torah that almost never happened, or if they happened, they happened once in a generation or once in a century. Uh, Like the Talmud says, uh, you know, you read the Torah, how many mitzvahs in the Torah carry with it a death penalty? Many. Uh, Yet, we're told that capital punishment in a Jewish court of law was exceedingly rare. Once in 70 years, a, a Jewish court would execute someone. The 70 years is a lifetime. You know, Texas executes someone every week. Now, again, I don't want to talk about that subject because it's just an example. But the example is that just because the laws are are written in such a way, you have to learn the details, what they actually mean, uh, what what is the circumstance of them, etc. So, I want to start with some background, uh, from the Rambam. The Rambam, in his laws related to these subjects, he gives us the following introduction. Uh, he says that when the, when the Torah, when the, the biblically sanctioned laws related to a, a female Jewish servant is only when she is a minor, uh, meaning that she's less, she's younger than the age of 12. And it is only when she is, so to speak, sold by her father. And I think it's always important to stress, no one is as invested in the well-being, in the safety of a young girl than that young girl's father. So it's important to have that in our, in our head as we try to grapple with this very unusual mitzvah. That we find in in Exodus chapter 20. Now, under what conditions may a father, quote unquote, sell his daughter as a servant? Again, this is only temporary because by the time she turns 12, she's released. So this is only from, only when she is still a minor. Under what conditions may a father, quote unquote, sell his daughter to be a servant in someone else's home? So the Ravam tells us that a father is not permitted to sell his daughter. Only if he is so destitute and he has absolutely nothing, no property, no real property, no movable property, and even he doesn't have any shirt left. He's entirely destitute. He has nothing. His condition are so dire that he has no other option but to use his daughter, so to speak, to raise some funds. Now, in addition, the Talmud tells us that... When someone transgresses the laws related to the Shemitah, the Shemitah, of course, is the seven year cycle. You're a farmer. So every seven years you gotta take a year off. And the Talmud goes on to say that of course this is a, a big temptation. You know, if you're living in an agrarian society, what you produce, what your field produces is your income to take a whole year off and to rely on God to provide. That, of course, creates a a crisis of faith or a challenge of faith, at least. And the Talmud acknowledges that some farmers weren't up to the test, and they either worked the field or they engaged in commerce with fruits of the seventh year. And the Talmud says that such a person is likely to descend into a a spiral of poverty. Because initially, they're thinking, they, they, they they imagine that... Doing this will help them prosper economically, but the truth is it's going to result in them losing their assets, having to sell off their assets, and eventually selling their home and selling their clothing and eventually even selling their daughter. What this means is that, again, this is something which is obviously a last resort, it's only given to the father of the of the daughter. Suppose the daughter's adopted, or father dies, or something like that. These laws are, cannot be fulfilled. And again, it's only something that is there, but it's not at all encouraged. Uh, now, in addition, the Ram tells us: suppose the father does sell his daughter as a servant. And again, this is uh, only until the she turns twelve. Once she turns twelve, she's automatically released. She is now an adult, and she is no longer Uh, in the domain of her master. What if, over the course of the time from when she's sold until when she goes free, uh, what if the father, or maybe even the family, they come into some money? So the law states uh, that, you know, we, we calculate how much her hourly rate is or her yearly rate is. Suppose, you know, She was sold at the age of six or at the age of seven. And so there's five years left for her to work, so to speak. And now we have to calculate how much the yearly rate was. Suppose the father comes into money. So he is obligated to buy her back. And the rate is the same rate that the original sale was for. Suppose the father comes into money and he says, you know what? Eh, I like the idea of someone else watching my kid. It's easier. I don't need to pay tuition. I don't need to worry about her food and board. I have the money, but I'm not interested in doing it. So the law states is that the court would garnish his wages, so to speak. They would take his money and forcibly cause him to uh, to buy back to redeem his daughter. Suppose the father escaped. That's the example that the Talmud tells us. The father dies or the father really has no money, then she has to work out her term. So that's the basics, uh, the background of of this, uh, this law. Now, to my knowledge, there was not a single documented episode of this actually happening. However, there is a similar law, or I would say, you know, a, a adjacent law, that I think also would raise eyebrows, but that we do know that it did happen. And that is the related law with respect to a father marrying off his minor daughter. Now, we know for any marriage union to be sanctioned, there has to be acquiescence on both sides. You can't force someone to marry someone. It's not, it's not, it's not legally binding in Torah law. So if the man doesn't want, you force, you, you force him to marry someone, that marriage is null. If the woman doesn't want, you try to force someone to marry her, that, that, that marriage is null. But when someone is a minor, we don't consider that they have the the ability to make their own choices and therefore they can't really get married. So if you have a minor, someone a, a boy, technically he's beneath the age of halachic adulthood, they're not 13, they cannot get married. There's no way that they get married because they cannot have the, the will, so to speak, the desire to make that choice. Well, what about a female? So the law states that, yes, while a female herself does not have the decision-making capacity to do that, still her father can marry her off. Again, similar kind of law. Her father can marry her off if he chooses to a man that he finds a fitting to marry his daughter. Now, the obvious question is, why would a father do that, right? So, the Talmud tells us two very interesting things. First of all, it is prohibited. This is from the book of Kiddushin, page 41a. It is prohibited for a father to marry off his minor daughter. It is prohibited. Now let her do it. And the obvious question is, I don't get it. The Torah says a father can do it. And the Talmud says a father cannot do it. How do you reconcile those two statements? And the answer is that a father cannot do it under any normal, ordinary circumstances. But there is this legal reality where when the situation warrants, he can do it. So, for example, if you look at the Tosfos, which is the medieval commentators on the Talmud, on that same statement in the Talmud, in the Book of Inclusion, page 41a, the Tosfos commentators say, wait a minute, the Talmud here says we're not allowed to do it. But we know it's common or it exists in our society. So this is an amazing Little documentation that in the medieval societies, girls were married off before they turned 12. Now, you may say, well, they were more mature then. It was even common in, in much more recent times for kids to get married when they're when they're 15, 16. It still exists in some societies today. But before the age of 12 means before they're an adult. So maybe they're 11, maybe they're 10. But the Tosfo says, wait a minute. I don't understand. How can we see in our society this does exist? Yet the Talmud says it is prohibited for a father to marry off his minor daughter, and the Tosfos answers that it's because in our society, and I'll read you word for word. Every day, the exile means, which means the state of the Jews in the diaspora, it strengthens. And if a father has the ability to marry off his daughter and to pay for it and to cover the expenses. He should do it right away because who knows, maybe tomorrow things will change, his fortunes will turn, and then it'll turn out that his daughter will be, she'll be an old maid, she'll never never be able to get married. Again, this this idea that the father acting in the best interest of his daughter, which every father, and certainly every father who has a daughter knows, that there's nothing that motivates you more than protecting your own child in a very extenuating circumstances when you realize that this may be your only chance then this carve out so to speak this legal carve out allows for such a for such a for such an arrangement even though under normal circumstances it is in fact prohibited for a father to marry off his minor daughter and I want to add there is um, the Talmud talks about this and we know this was present also in medieval times there was another situation in which something like this would be exercised and that is uh there was a decree that existed uh under the romans that if uh, a young girl or a woman a young woman who is engaged to be wed she's first commandeered by the local uh commander and she has to spend the night with him so to speak before she could get married uh, now, we know that this was not just uh, in antiquity, it was in more recent times, in the, the medieval times, or the dark ages, or things like that. It, it, this, this practice, again, in the times where people had no rights, and certainly the Jews were fair game, their women were sometimes harassed, uh, is maybe a gentle term. Under those circumstances uh, would be another, again, very unusual, very distinguished situation where the father would say, you know, Unmarried girls, engaged girls, their fair game. The married women, they have a certain degree of protection, and that would be another, again, very unusual, non-standard situation where the father would invoke this to try to spare his daughter from being taken by the lords or the uh, whoever was in charge of that particular region, if that was the 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 practice in that location at that time. So again, we should not be. Uh, taking the lesson from reading scripture, and say, oh, a farm of, of his daughter, why not? I need, some, I need some more assets. Again, the Ram tells us it's only if they're absolutely destitute and they literally are dying of starvation. And even then, we see the laws today that it's really not as it may seem. Okay, so that's the background of these particular laws. And the three that we read about in quick Succession in chapter 21 of Exodus is number one is the concept of the master or his son marrying this young girl. Number two is the uh, is the mitzvah of facilitating uh, her being redeemed, bought back, so to speak. The father has money. Mm-hmm. The, then the owner is is mandated to release his servant if uh, they, they pay the prorated uh, rate of uh, deducting how much she worked and how much time is left on, on, on her term. And number three is the mitzvah to not sell her off to someone else. It means he, she does not become his chattel. He cannot actually sell her off. She's working for him temporarily. She is a servant in his domain, but she does not belong to him. He cannot sell her off. And that, by the way, those these final two would apply both to a male and a female Jewish servant. Uh, that the master is obligated if external funds become available. Someone wants to redeem them. The master is obligated to release them and the master may not sell them, pawn them off to somebody else. They don't really belong to them. They they are required to work for them for a maximum of six years or for a girl if she becomes an adult in the interim. Or, of course, if Yovel arrives, Yovel is the jubilee cycle we talked about last time, but he does not own her to the degree that he can sell her. Now, this law that the owner, the master, may marry the girl, either him, himself, or his son, that is, number one, only if the girl signs off on it. And in fact, the law states that in the event that the master is ineligible to marry the girl for whatever reason, then that sale cannot happen to begin with. But again, uh, the idea here being is uh, that this is not an exchange of slaves. This is some sort of arrangement that is facilitated by the Torah, again, only to be used in various circumstances, but it, it, it's, it's something that could potentially become something more. Uh, this girl who maybe begins her tenure in this home as a maidservant but she can be upgraded and become the you know the mistress of the home. She could be elevated, so to speak, to the status of of a wife, and this could be a union that is more permanent. It only applies in the times of Yovel. Again, only when the Yovel cycle is uh is present does this apply. It is also not mandatory, and that means the, the master is not required to marry her, but he may do it, and it is a mitzvah if he does it, and. In addition, he has to also allow for him to be, for her to be bought back in the event that funds become available. If he does marry her, then they're they're married like any other like any other two people. She's his spouse, and that's she. it. Uh, now there is an interesting there's an interesting comment here by the Sefer Achina. He says, if he does marry her as a wife, or he marries her to his son, then he did proper, and blessing will descend upon him and good and righteous children will be born from this union which means that in the this is a happy ending to the saga you know the girl from a very destitute background is brought into the home and she actually becomes uh the wife the the mistress of the home that's a happy conclusion Uh, just the final note the next law mitzvah number 46 Talks about in the event of a master or the master's son marrying this girl, if he chooses to marry someone else, he cannot demote his first wife into a lower status, and that's the mitzvah number forty-six, which is the prohibition against denying rights of the wife. Uh, a Marriage is a union which has uh, mutual responsibilities the husband to the wife, and the wife back to the husband. And the responsibilities the husband has to the wife is uh, enumerated in the ksuba, in the marriage document, and there is a prohibition for him to withhold, to deny any of these items to his wife. And the way it's presented, it's in this context. You would think that, you know, maybe such a marriage, such a union where the the husband was originally the master, and the wife was originally the maidservant. You may think in this case that she has some lower status and maybe he could deny her or something. You know, she still has the residue, uh, the vestiges of being a maidservant. And therefore the Torah says, no, she's a regular wife and all the laws apply and all the responsibilities apply and all the rights must be granted and he cannot deny them. And those are in the Torah, uh, food, room and board, obviously. Uh, clothing and, uh, conjugal rights. And in fact, uh, the mitzvah states that in the event that the husband does deny this, and this applies to all husbands, which is not specific, it's presented over here because you may think that in this case, it's more likely to be denied, but it applies to all husbands. It's a mitzvah, uh, that they cannot deny these to their wives. And in fact, if they do, the wife could go to court and the court would mandate that he fulfill his responsibilities and uphold this mitzvah so that's uh the subject for for next mitzvah but again it's always important for us when we read these mitzvahs to understand the context like the talmud says you are prohibited from marrying of your minor daughter but, but, but the torah says you could do it yes the torah allows it in the event that it's absolutely necessary it's absolutely vital and otherwise as things are very dangerous otherwise things are uh are, are very vulnerable etc similarly over here this is something that the Ramadan says, if uh, it would only be allowed in the event that the father or the family is so destitute, they literally don't have clothing. And like the Talmud says, this is probably a product of, of people behaving in a certain way that, uh, makes them almost, uh, like a punishment, the divine punishment that they are brought to such, uh, terrible, uh, terrible straits. But that's the Mitzvah, Mitzvah 43, 44, 45, the laws governing a Jewish female minor maidservant. servant.